Welcome to episode five of ParcelCast from ProShip. We're going to be discussing a peak postmortem. Hindsight is 2020. Our partner company this episode is Invista. And let me take a moment to introduce myself and the rest of the guests here. Uh, I'm Bill Schrader. I'm president of ProShip. Uh, we're experts in the parcel business and uh, together on this call, we have more than 100 years of experience in parcel and parcel shipping. With me is Justin Kramer and Mark Taylor. Justin, you wanna say hi to the audience? Hello, everybody. We're looking forward today to giving you a lot of good advice about uh, the 2020 shipping season and uh, everything we expect to come going forward. Thanks, Bill. Awesome, and uh, we have a lot of early preliminary data in. Um, I'm gonna overuse an overused word again. Uh, it was unprecedented going into peak this year the start of peak uh it essentially started in march and and mark taylor is with us from invista he's the director of parcel consulting and mark you want to introduce yourself sure hello everyone and and thank you justin and bill for having me today and in this important discussion awesome thanks mark uh, Mark, do you want to go ahead and set the stage for us? What the environment looked like, what we were, what we were facing going into it, and and just kind of tee up the conversation for our audience. Sure. So there's no question whatsoever that 2020 was an, a beyond challenging year, probably a struggle of a year for many of our shippers, many of our clients. And really the perfect storm that happened in 2020 was really COVID as an accelerant for changes that were already beginning before it happened and throughout the pandemic have just continued to accelerate. And some of those changes have caused pain points like capacity constraints on pickup from the two major parcel carriers, UPS and FedEx, who experienced a couple of very challenging variables. Uh, the first of which is that typical growth in the parcel industry is about five to 6% a year for UPS and FedEx. They experienced in one year, a 20% year over year growth, which is essentially four years of growth on one year of capacity. So to say that it was challenging uh, is, is an understatement for sure. The other statistic that really changed a lot is the amount of commerce that was done online. In the fall of 2019, the estimates were somewhere along the 18% uh, kind of uh, number where 18% of overall commerce was done online. And in the spring, in really the heaviest part of the pandemic's effects, uh, several reports stated that number more like 38% of the commerce in the United States done online. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting that you're bringing that up because some of the you know, I, a lot of people have weighed in on what their opinions are regarding what we're going to see and 
what it's going to look like going into 2021. But probably the most accurate portrayal that I've seen is is the uh, a few folks pointed out the trend lines in e-commerce pre-pandemic, and they all said we we jumped, and the amount of time really varies in what they all reflect, but it literally isn't even a hockey stick line. You get to March and it's like a perpendicular line and we jump ahead 10 years. To where the trend lines would have taken us 10 years from now, we suddenly were there almost every overnight and, and everyone was scrambling with their strategic planning to figure out, well, where are we? What do we do now? Um, and, and adjusting to that, we've been doing it. We went into peak while we were already in peak. All the peak planning never happened. The, the time period that everyone would spend in spring and summer planning for the next peak, that really got shortcut. Um, so why don't we talk about some of the financial impacts and solutions? Sure. So one of the things that shippers faced is that there seemed to be just this carousel of pricing changes that happened, seemed like every other month, for the two major carriers. And in a recent study and analysis that, that I published in uh, Parcel Magazine, if you trace a zone to one pound package for home delivery or UPS's equivalent uh, ground residential, you can trace that package from the beginning of 2020 to the list rate of 2021 and there was over a 15% year-over-year change uh, between those two points, January 2020 to January 2021. And that's just extreme uh, by any regard. Clients are dealing with that and what seems to be a barrage of every other month having a new surcharge added to their programs. And so, Mark, is, is there any indication that that those surcharges are going to start pulling back as the uh, as the pandemic starts to clear, or is that a permanent thing, or, or do we have any indication on that? Actually, in the past two weeks, UPS and FedEx have both renewed some of those peak surcharges and will continue indefinitely. And that uh, follows the most recent announcement, which is January 15th from FedEx, that to answer UPS also implemented a residential surcharge that will be in place indefinitely. Fascinating. It's interesting in, in terms of, you know, I, with ProShip being a multi-carrier system, one of the things that we've we've always leaned on is that it's very beneficial to have multiple relationships with multiple carriers. Uh, but the UPS and the FedEx world was always fairly stable price-wise. You could on an annual basis know what your discounts were. Fuel surcharges were introduced, what, maybe 10 years ago. Um, that introduced a more dynamic pricing ramification on a monthly basis and then now weekly. Uh, but it's almost like they've introduced dynamic pricing, like the carriers with the surcharges and the, the various permutations of that and capacity are introducing really variable pricing. 
They are. And really what we're going to see is an emphasis on margin with the carriers. Both UPS and FedEx are well-managed, publicly traded companies, and they answer to value and margin in that market. In the past six months, you've heard both sets of leaders at UPS and FedEx talk about the increased focus on their margin. And what that means is that small and mid-sized shippers are better positioned for negotiation than are the larger programs, larger meaning $50 million in spend or more, um, are going to have a more difficult time um, to in negotiation than in the small and mid-sized market. What that also means is that where typical programs of a certain size would be all about consolidation for trying to do single sourcing and getting the best pricing, now there's going to be a much bigger emphasis on, on implementing new carriers and adjusting the carrier mix appropriately. It, it, speaking of consolidation, that almost seems like a, a double-edged sword because the carriers are requiring minimum volumes to meet certain discount thresholds, but then they're introducing volume caps and, and cutting off capacity. Uh, Justin, I think you had some customers this year that uh, were either fired or had their capacity significantly um, strained. Yeah, and I, I think Mark kind of covers some of that. The fact that uh, right now the uh, the carriers, they they have hit a capacity constraint. In the past, they've always been just a little bit ahead of what was going to be put into their network. But now that they've got that limit on how much they can bring in per unit time, they want that to be as profitable as possible. So when customers that have these contracts that say, I will only ship X thousands of shipments per day or from this facility or for this service level, when they violate that, they're not being good customers, right? And so the carriers have been, uh, especially uh, uh, in those larger customers where that, where that margin is not as high, they're actually removing they're, they're calling in some of those termination clauses to give that volume to either either customers that are, are of a, a better margin or and or customers who are playing within the contract significantly better so and and, sure. and i think that that falls into another part that we saw as well which is last year um, by by mid-year, there were no more new capacity to be had by the major carriers. You couldn't sign up. You couldn't switch from from brown to purple in the middle of the year anymore. Um, Mark, do you see that that change in it all this year, um, uh, especially for for the big two? Um, possibly not in the short term, but in the mid to long term, yes. So in the short term, I think it's all about finding some alternatives for our shippers to, to be able to get their commodities to their recipients. I think you'll find some capacity inside of carriers that wish to expand, like DHL e-commerce, who has re-entered into the US market 
and is cost competitive with the services of the two major carriers. Other regional carriers indicated that they would open up capacity in January of 2021. As an example, Lasership, a regional carrier who really was designed around e-commerce for the East Coast, uh, is now entertaining bids right now uh, to become a regional carrier for several shippers. Agreed, agreed. We had uh, we had Lasership on on podcast number, or, I'm sorry, Parcelcast number two. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, we actually do discuss uh, when they'll be opening for uh, for additional customers, and that should be now. So if you if if you are listening to this uh, when it's just released in January, um, uh, they are looking to add carrier add add additional customers and start that process so you can be prepared. So yeah, Mark, I, I agree. It is about uh, starting early, getting whether it's it's on track, laser ship, um, the regionals, or some of the new specialized carriers that we're starting to see that don't quite hit that regional model. Um, now, you know, Q1 is the time to prepare. Uh, uh, is the time to start that conversation so you can get them in place as early as possible. Now, another thing that that we lost last year is the time of transit guarantees, that money back guarantee that a lot of companies um, uh, really gave them a sense of security. Mark, what do you see happening with that? I really don't see the money back guarantee or uh, any of any of those promises coming back uh, for 2021, frankly. Um, the commerce growth is here to stay, at least I believe, through probably fall of 2021. The one variable that has to be watched closely is consumer confidence. And when people start to be confident to going safely back into brick and mortar retail, I am sure that the retailers would open them with with welcome open arms uh, in order to justify some of the leases that continue on brick, um, brick and mortar stores, even though no one is able to populate those and drive foot traffic. So when we're able to do business in the regular way, which is I go into a store and purchase things in brick and mortar, and that's one of the avenues, then the backup way of doing commerce, e-commerce, should, to some degree at least, open up in capacity. Um, there are some, though, economists that are very well respected that believe that a lot of the e-commerce growth is here to stay. Uh, and we certainly know that there have been retailers that have not fared well during this crisis and will not be coming back uh, to brick and mortar when the rest of the world does. So I do think a big part of the growth is here to stay. I do think that we're going to be watching very closely what consumer confidence does, especially in late summer, early fall with the vaccination programs and various things that are going to affect consumer confidence. So that what that's going to do, it sounds like we all expect there's going to be some pullback in e-commerce shipping once consumers start picking up any more percentage of their goods 
directly from brick and mortar. But that's going to get back to those contracts and capacity and things of that nature. Can you for can you help our audience here by by explaining how how do carriers actually measure capacity? Is it just sheer boxes? Is it weight? Is it dollars? What if 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 I'm a a, a shipper, growing shipper, because e-commerce has boomed for me? What should I be looking at? What should I be expecting that my carriers are going to negotiate with me, such that I can plan my products, my shipping strategy to to service as many customers as practical? Yeah. So I'll be I'll do my best to be as concise as possible on this response um, because you have different terms in contracts that are the classics and then you have some that are relatively new recent developments so the classics when we talk about revenue based terms in agreements are going to be minimums of published revenue that would be what your program would look like on the list pricing from the carriers versus tiered revenue discounts. So there are minimums there to get any kind of discounting. And um, then there are maximum discounts available for the highest amount of revenue. And that's kind of the classics and that will continue to stay in contracts. The relatively new development for terminology is these maximums that are based off of primarily parcel volume. And you saw the new peak surcharges this past year in 2020 that based the uh, surcharges on a certain increase over a set point of the carrier's program. So just to make an example of that, some shippers were facing uh, maximum parcel volumes that were set as a percentage over their February 2020 shipping. So that means after they got to 110, 115% of their parcel volume over February 2020, then they started to receive per package charges uh, that were based on that parcel volume. So, so typically, so, yeah, yeah, it sounds like there's a big disconnect, right? My price is based upon how much I would spend, but my capacity is based upon the actual package count that I'm shipping. So there's a little bit of a dichotomy that a, that a logistics manager would have to balance in order to keep their costs as low as possible per shipment and still have as many shipments as they can through that carrier. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's a dichotomy not only for those operations managers, but it's actually a dichotomy for UPS and FedEx to start explaining to their customers. Um, just like Desi would say, they got some splaining to do um, because in some ways they have constrained their shippers to not hit the maximum discounts. Yeah. So the two terms are in disagreement with each other and they're trying to hold shippers to both constraints. And I don't think that's going to work out well um, for negotiations going forward. And, and and Bill, doesn't it seems like in order to walk this line, we need to have uh, we as a as a as a as a retailer, we as a manufacturer, 
we would need to have a pretty complicated shipment execution software. Would you agree with that? Oh, Justin, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. So, you know, at, back in the day, and, and we won't mention when, but Justin and I were both a bit younger, uh, a transportation strategy was pretty simple. You, you went with your account executive to lunch once a quarter, you talked about your volume, you talked about the next contract you'll negotiate. Um, and how business is going. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. You both moved on and and after the year, you'd get your new contractor. Maybe you had a three-year contract and, and that was the last time you thought about it. Um, now it's it's almost imperative that any, any shipper of substantial volume has multiple carriers. Uh, and then within the multiple carriers, you have to look at the rules and constraints you have between them. Um, maximize or hit your revenue goal, but don't exceed your volume. If you exceed your volume, the penalties are significant. Uh, it, if you look at the surcharges that were imposed, um, it, it really punished success. And don't get me wrong, I totally understand why the carriers did it. They wanted to make sure that they could continue to perform uh, and maintain the service levels that they needed to. At the same time, there weren't many options and places to go with that volume. Uh, I think in the last year, we probably implemented a record number of regional carriers and uh, several of the regional carriers, which it, that's always been a precarious uh, game. Regional carriers have a tendency to come and go and get acquired by different operations and stuff. But uh, I think they've, they've uh, reached critical mass this year. But you have to have a transportation execution system that can route your volume in very intelligent ways uh, to balance all of those factors, all those permutations, and then to do it based on the dates. Where are you in the program with the carrier, with the surcharges? Uh, how much volume have you given them? How much revenue have you given them? All of those uh, all factor together. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting and really complicated time to be in the logistics business. And I really feel for those traffic managers and, and, and the 3PLs and retailers that are, are thriving during this time are also facing, to overuse an overused word, unprecedented levels of complexity in doing this in a cost-effective way. Uh, the game is so complicated now that trying to figure out what your savings would be between one mode or another and, and how to service your customers in the most cost-effective way. It's a, it's a very complicated algorithm. So, um, but this, it's not, I mean, it is very complicated. We're all, nobody can disagree with that right now. But Mark, wouldn't we say that, that the carriers, it's not all bad news. I mean, the carriers are looking at the fact that if I'm shipping from a store, um, and, I, and I'm shipping, uh, you know, basically something that doesn't even need to make it to a central hub. Are they starting to look at that and at least incentivize uh, the, the shippers that have these multiple origins uh, where they can help minimize the impact on the carrier's network? Yes, there is some piloting going on right now. You won't necessarily see some of these programs in a service guide. But there is some zone one pricing and some specific reduction in pricing 
or those that would keep the, the volume in the networks for the minimum amount of time. So zone one would be even something that's closer than a zone two type of pricing. And for that reason, they would reduce it. Almost zone zero, right? Right. I mean, if you look at the U.S. Postal Service, they've had zone one for what seems like an eternity. Um, so FedEx and UPS are just starting to sort of pilot some of that. To, to enable some of what Justin is is promoting here. But that's not all the changes that the carriers are making though. I mean, uh, let's face it, we see some of the postal last mile stuff that the carriers are are pulling their levers and knobs and, and almost pushing certain types of volume away. What, uh, what type of volume are we seeing them take? But more importantly, what if I'm a logistics manager, what volume do I need to start preparing to have a third party for? Yeah, so for the past decade, FedEx and UPS have put increased pressure on larger packages. And every general rate increase, there are new surcharges and higher fees on those packages. So that's going to be packages that are bigger than uh, the 150 pounds, that is the cutoff those that are long, those that have a large length and girth, all of those additional handling types of, of things. And in April, uh, UPS will be taking it a step further in a very unusual new pricing program, which will make additional handling a zone-based charge. So not just trying to weed out the larger packages, but also the larger packages that they carry further. So zone five and above, starting April 11th on UPS, are going to be charged more for additional handling than those with lower zones. So big packages, bad, would basically be the message from UPS and FedEx. Thanks, uh, Mark. I appreciate that. And, and that's, that's actually an interesting topic because in addition to bringing the additional carriers on and discussing all of the complexities of the volume and, and what you do, operationally, there's got to be uh, some things that we have to take into consideration when people are looking at additional carriers, um, looking at their packages and, and what the physical characteristics of them are. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, short-term strategies, long-term strategies, but also uh, buy online, pick up in store, how that's kind of playing into the thing. It shipped from store this year was huge. Anybody who hadn't started it in January and February, uh, by the time we got halfway through March, they were pretty much out of the game. Um, right. if they didn't have ship from store in place. And then uh, let's take a let's take a, a little look at you know profitable action suggestions to to some of the stuff that we can do. Sure. So in addition to the large packages, um, the carriers are constrained a, a lot on residential delivery, and that's where all of their delivery constraints are going to be. So anything to change a residential delivery into a commercial delivery 
is a strategy worth considering? So when I think about ways to do that, one of the big topics this year will be buy online, pick up in store, or BOPIS, as sometimes uh, supply chain acronym uh, folks would say. Uh, and buy online, pick up in store is a great way to avoid the per package residential charges, which just continue to go up. Another way that people can avoid residential charges is to explore different access points or uh, retail network partners of FedEx and UPS. FedEx and UPS have both entered agreements to places that are somewhat of a stop sign type of retailers like Walgreens, CVS, and Dollar General. And UPS also has an access point network, although it contains its own fees. Um, the third strategy that I think doesn't necessarily get a whole lot of press, but I think is valuable, is what Amazon has started to do, which is working on a prime day. So for anybody in, unfamiliar with that service, Amazon has started offering a day in which you can get all of your orders that would otherwise be uh, on separate deliveries throughout the week. They all get consolidated into one delivery. So if shippers can conceivably consolidate different orders into only one day of delivery, that might also be an avenue to avoid some of the per package residential charges. But those are just three different strategies that I think are worth considering. There are many more. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Justin, do you wanna chat a little bit about volume shifting, uh, some of the, the more technical uh, actions that we can take uh, programmatically, and, and we can automate a lot of this, uh, dynamic business rules. And and then, Mark, when we finish up, I'd like maybe if you could touch on things that we should consider uh, when we're negotiating with, with carriers in the, in the coming year, because hopefully a lot of people are looking at their carrier contracts again, and uh, they're looking at 2021 peak and what that's going to be for them. Uh, I think some people are getting the bills today for their 2020 December volume and realizing that those surcharges didn't play out exactly the way they expected they would. And uh, all the celebrations about their record year are, are starting to, uh, yeah, they're waking up with a little bit of a hangover. So Justin, how do we, how do we execute on this? How do we do this? Well, so there's a, there's a couple of major strategies, two of them primarily. One is volume shifting from one carrier to another. This is pretty straightforward. It's kind of the opposite of what we've been trying to do for many years. We've been trying to consolidate our volume with a single carrier to, to drive the lowest discounts possible. But in a, in a time where we're, we're capacity constraints, we wanna be able to move packages into alternative carriers where those lanes make the most sense to them, right? So that's number one, from a given location, try to increase the number of carriers available, and then your shipping software should be able to select uh, the, 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 to, to move some portion of that volume to a, a carrier that, that that's its sweet spot 
providing your general carrier with a significantly lower volume, but volume that that uh, still you need to deliver that may be outside of some of the other other regionals or, or couriers sweet spots. But then there's also just moving where you ship it from, right? We call this omnichannel. It's the the name has been around for a long time, but it's amazing how many retailers, how many manufacturers that are now starting to go direct consumer, um, how many distributors aren't truly omnichannel. They don't have the ability to, to uh, within their order management process, to actually execute an order from the closest point and only move an order to, uh, to the far point in the event that it's the last of that inventory. So combining the actual costs uh, from, from your origins, which would come from a multi-carrier shipping system, with the knowledge and logic that a good order management system would have, putting the two of those together to even just source those, those to the shortest possible routes, the fewest possible packages, that's something that you wanna look at. And as, as it was described before, the fact that you're getting counted on per box, not the dollars shipped, the value shipped, the volume shipped, okay, even though there are some volume uh, accessorials that may punish you for that, the idea now of using your OMS to actually try to consolidate as many parts of that order or as many orders as possible um, is something that you really wanna use and you want to look at that with the real-time cost from a shipping software. Um, and that goes to dynamic business roles because you could get a call. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, logistics managers out of there that are always on the phone with their with their reps from all the carriers going, hey, can I get just one more trailer pulled today? Or the rep is calling them going, hey, we need to pull one less trailer today. Can you move this somewhere else? And in exchange, I'll pull trailers over the weekend or something like that, right? Um, there's all that that horse trading, as we've always called it, going on, especially during a peak season. And since all of 2020 was a peak season, there was a lot of horse trading going on. The ability to go to your systems and be able to pull a lever to be able to say, okay, I'm actually reducing my capacity today, or I'm increasing my capacity. I'm adding an extra pickup day just for this weekend. Being able to do that dynamically is really important for you to have that capability in your enterprise software stack. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw a lot of the major retailers uh, that, that we service use that very effectively as they navigated their way through this year. Um, hey, Mark, you want to you wanna wrap us up with, with some suggestions on uh, negotiating and what people should keep in mind as they're working through their next set? Sure. And I think that this plays very well into what Justin is talking about in being able to dynamically route, um, I think that for contract negotiation, this year and really any other, it's all about prioritization of those items that are most important to you and where really the highest amount of spend that you can avoid is going to be. So one of the things that, that I would recommend to really anyone is to do a full analysis of what your shipping looked like for 2020, do a comprehensive post-mortem of all of the charges in your program to get an idea of how expensive it was per service, per surcharge, and really use your negotiation uh, talks with carriers 
to focus on those things that are going to save you the most money and prioritize those, those items that are more meaningful to you. You know, with any of the strategies that we mentioned, the, these are all going to be bound by the terms in the agreement. And that includes the revenue tiers um, and the minimums that are contained for the book of business that the carrier expects to get from each shipper based on the agreement. So it's, it's really having all of the, that kind of expertise kind of wound into one. You want to have the best flexibility operationally possible. You want to have the flexibility on your carriers and negotiating, and all of that needs to come together in order to minimize costs and maximize service to the recipients. And Mark, you, you have a ton of knowledge about this, um, and, and you've basically just been educating us for the last 20 some odd minutes. Um, if, if, if I'm a, if I'm a uh, retailer or manufacturer and I need help with something like this, I need help with evaluating those contracts you just talked about, uh, trying to understand what my carrier mix should be, is that something that that you and Invista would provide? Can you give us just a little, you know, uh, 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 minute-long commercial there, if you would? Sure. Um, so every every day, my team uh, does look at parcel programs, looks at the collection of historical data versus contracts, and looks for opportunities to help clients negotiate where it's most important to them. And this year, a big part of what we're going to be helping to add value in is carrier choice and simulation of carrier mix. And I think that if anyone needs help in those areas, we certainly would love to do that at Invista. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Uh, Justin, Mark, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, Thank all of you in the audience who are listening and thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, just a reminder that you can reach ProShip at sales at ProShipInc.com. That's sales at ProShipInc.com. Or you can call us on the phone, 800-353-7774, 800-353-7774. Uh, we hope that you join us next month for a webinar where we're going to take a deeper dive into yet another very fascinating and interesting topic. Um, we're going to have Invista again during the webinar, and we're going to do a deep dive not only onto this, but we're also going to have some charts and graphs and some diagrams uh, of system tech stacks and, and really dig into how you can execute with this and, and use all of the advice that we, uh, that in all of the key topics that we covered today, we're going to go over them in length. So we appreciate your time today, and we hope that you have a wonderful 2021. Just a quick follow-up for our listeners on this parcel cast. If you have questions for our follow-on webinar with Invista, please include them when you sign up for the webinar at http colon slash slash bit.ly slash proship2021. That's http colon slash slash b-i-t y dot l-y slash p-r-o-s-h-i-p 2021. Thank you.